When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Okay, today we had on uh, Tegan and Sarah, a duo, sisters, identical twins, at least so far. And I fangirled out hard at the end, but they mean a lot to me, Chad. And they were brand new to you, though. So I'd love yeah. to hear kind of like what you thought. They were, which I think is a dynamic that happens sometimes on this show, which is that I just learned of them yesterday. And then it's like, I, you know, I go to their Wikipedia page. I read the dossier. I look at their Spotify and I find out, oh, these are big, huge stars. But yeah. in the interview, they're really they're really smart. They have processed a lot of what they're going through together as twins in life and also individually as half of a twinship. And yeah. it was pretty profound to hear them talk about how they have carved out their own identities in that in that yeah. sort of life. Yeah. And I took it personally as the mother of twins, just seeing how you're one entity and yet you're obviously completely separate entities, how that give and take and push and pull affects even a conversation like this um, was really interesting. And you led off with that. Uh, and they also were talking about their new TV show on um, called High School that's going to be on Amazon. Amazon Freebie, Free- right? Okay. That they did with Clea Duvall, who's an incredible actress and director and now producer as well. So please enjoy Tegan and Sarah. I assumed you'd be in like the same place, like you're one person. That's ridiculous. <laughs> Me too. You you'd be shocked at how many people, specifically border agents, when we come back to our home country of Canada, who'd be like, "Well, if you're in a band with your twin sister, where is she? Well, she she lives somewhere else. Like we don't we're not together. Well, you don't live together? No, we're adults. Like, what do you mean do we live together? <laughs> <laughs> Tegan, you've spoken first here today. Sarah has not yet said anything. Is that something you guys? figured out as a dynamic or is there like a leader and a uh and a co-partner or whatever like how did you form a who takes the first step dynamic between you I mean we are still figuring it out it's only been 25 years <laughs> of doing press and talking to people professionally actually one of the most stressful pieces is when someone will say okay so i just I, my so here's my first question you know whatever mm. what's your favorite color either of you can answer and then we just sit there okay. like um, and okay. You're like, uh, like, yeah. like it, you know, and it's gotten easier with when we're doing, you know, Zoom and video interviews. But, you know, back in the day, we used to do phone interviews. I mean, for like literally 15 oh, years. No. And it's just so awkward. And I, I find that, you know, the sort of 
the etiquette of of just directing questions, which often happens more like on, you know, um, shorter form radio programs or even television. And I always feel like, what a relief because n- we don't have to like non-verbally decide who's going to answer the questions. If Tegan seems more like she's like chomping at the bit, we let, like she'll go first. Mm-hmm. And then we just kind of, uh, then if she's answered something, then I know, hey, I'm I'm kind of like, I'm in the batter's uh, batter's box the next time up, you know? I mean, we're really still sorting that out ourselves, especially since we're not in the same room. And yeah. just to give context, Julie and I met a little over a year ago. We've been doing this podcast since February, and we're sort of in our second season. So we haven't even been doing it for all of those 10 months straight. We're trying to sort of refocus on quitting stories specifically, because that yeah. is a niche that we can that we can fill and that we have things to say. And so Sarah... I read something that I think you said. It sounds like you two went to therapy last year. Mm. The reason I I think it had something to do with the fact that you were like feeling some greatness pressure, like that you wanted people to love your band and not like it and your book and not like it. And you wanted them to, you wanted to be a great band and not a good band. And you wanted to be great authors. And you've been so accomplished and celebrated across mediums, like, what was the pain point that you were feeling that led you there? The most acute crisis or issue that brought us to therapy had more to do with kind of boring administrative things. Like Tegan and I were in the process of, uh, you know, sort of rebuilding. After 18 years with the same management team, we decided we wanted to find new managers. After Mm. um, over a decade with the same record label, we were kind of starting from, from ground zero. And you know, we were the the last two standing. And I think that process brought out a lot of strengths and weaknesses in our dynamic and how we make decisions and how we process grief and how we get over things. And so in some ways, you know, going to therapy and working with what was essentially like a career coach, like she, her, a lot of her work, the, the therapist we saw, really focuses on dynamics that involve, like businesses that involve family and and multi-level structures and generational partnerships between relatives, really, and and family members. And so she was really helpful in helping us sort of peel back, you know, the layers of the onion of our relationship and where we were at at that specific moment. But, you know, to sort of speak more to what you're talking about, Chad, I mean, I think that's a fundamental... Um, tension point in our relationship, myself and Tegan, is that to use actually our therapist language, I think I've always been someone who's excelled at, you know, trying to become great and and really disciplined and focused and really hard on myself and and really self-critical. And I think Tegan is is easier, more relaxed about leaning into what works and not worrying so much about what doesn't work. And I tend to be the person who's like, I think we could still be better. I think we could still, let's take these tiny little threads and let's pull them and see if we could just unravel it all, you know? And I think that dynamic makes us a really interesting band and an interesting creative collaboration. But I think we drive each other a little crazy. That like, like that that idea is kind of a central part of what both makes us work and also kind of has us teetering on the edge of, of um, you know, conflict a lot of the time. You, what you just described, though, as a family system, you may say, Sarah, it, you know, she's more relaxed about it. But if you, Sarah, were not driven, maybe Tegan would have to pick up that slack. I mean, it's like you guys are in a business relationship, but you're also in a family system. And without mm. It's easy to say, oh, she's relaxed and I'm driven. But honestly, it, they can't exist without each other. Or do you agree with that? I want to hear what Tegan has to say on that one. 
Yeah, no, I think, Julie, you're you're onto something there. I think if they're too much of one of us and it would be too much. And I think that we balance yeah. each other like any partnership, you know, like we always joke that it's kind of like we're divorced parents and music is our child. And I say, awesome. this, <laughs> I say this because it's like, all of us go through the same thing, which is that at some point you graduate, maybe it's high school or college, you move out on your own, right? And there's like a natural separation mm. that happens from your family unit. And then at some point, if you're lucky, you find a great partner. Maybe you have kids or you get an animal, whatever it is, but you start to build your own family unit. And mm-hmm. so your priorities change. And because Sarah and I have spent our entire adult life building our career together in a weird way, we've created a second family unit, but it's still us. So it's still a family unit. And that family unit is in conflict with our original family unit. And there's also, as we've become adults and cultivated our own relationships, Sarah's married and has a child. I'm married. Like we lived in different countries for a decade. We lived in, we've lived in different cities the majority of our adult life. But then we have this child which is music and now has become books and television and all these other things that we have to co-parent. And so Mm -hmm. I think that we definitely have strengths and weaknesses. And I think over the last 20 years, one of the things that we've really leaned into is that there are certain things that Sarah likes to do and things that Sarah's better at than me. And we absolutely balance things by not both trying to be that person. And I think that when we're in a good mood or in good spirits, we tend to notice those things about each other and make room for one another. And that over 20 years has lessened our conflict. But absolutely, I think that without Sarah being the way that she is, we would just be different people. We'd be a different band. And if there was, if Sarah was like me, it would just be too much. And I just think we've learn to accept that. And I, I I see how Sarah is. And I think like, oh, I'm so grateful to have that partnership. Sarah, I'm going to keep forcing this like analogy of how we're trying to shape our show to what you all do. And what you all do is like, at this point, like 20 plus years of wow. Grammy nominations and best-selling books and uh, 10 albums, if I'm not mistaken. So I think that our show is good. And I also like really want it to be great. Like I want it to be a show that people um, cannot wait for Monday because they just need to hear our voices (laughs) and meet our guests. I do really think it it is a solidly good show, but I also know it's not that it's not yet the thing that people are like crawling over, you know, their skin crawling because they haven't heard it in a week. And that makes me mostly feel rage. And (laughs) wow, I did not know this. Yeah. No, I lose lose sleep over that. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. And and right. where I'm going with it is I think part of it is like this show is very analytically sound. Like we're really good at talking about things of the head. And I feel like it it could use more like of the emotional body. So I want to ask like in those therapy sessions or in the rooms when the two of you are having something that looks like conflict, what are the feelings that are coming out in those moments? Can you like predict each other's feelings because you've known each other f- since birth? like? What language do you all speak in those moments? Over the course of 20 years of making making things. And, you know, and we don't just write songs and record albums. You know, we tour and we, you know, we do press and we make videos. And there are so many, like, offshoots of what it means to be in a band and to, to be songwriters and storytellers. And, you know, there are times in my life where I feel 100% proud, confident, assured that we're doing the right thing, um, validated, you know, like positive, you know, sort of affirming feelings about certain things. And then there's other times where like, I love our album, but 
you know, damn, we made some videos that I don't feel super happy about, or we're having conflict with our record label because they want to pick one single and I think it's a different single, you know? So I think one of the most, one of the big learning points for me in being in a successful creative collaboration and really just being successful in general is this idea that you are never going to reach whatever this pinnacle is, this greatness, this thing without it changing again, you know, sort of like almost underneath mm-hmm. your feet. You know, the whole point is, is that you have to be, you have to be nimble. You have to be prepared to be hustling and working and evolving, stretching, whatever, all the therapy words. You have to be, you kind of have to be comfortable and accept that it will, you'll never sort of like reach the the goal that you set for yourself and feel satisfied by that goal. I think it's, I think that reaching those goals can, can be a point of pride and it can be about learning and there can be a sort of there can be sort of a, a rest period. But then I think naturally people like us, people who are creative and cerebral and, you know, successful, we're just going to find a new, we're going to want to go back down the mountain and find a different way to climb it. You know, like I think that that's ultimately mm-hmm. what keeps us all going. I mean, that's really like what life is about. I, I try to think about my my unrest or my, uh, you know, my focus on trying to be better as not necessarily a negative thing or a thing that is has to be, um, dramatic or a crisis. In fact, I, I really think of it as like, it's part of it's part of what makes being creative exciting for me. And I think, you know, when Tegan and I, when we get into any kind of tension or conflict, I think at the root of that is, you know, the kind of communication that appeals to both of us and the kind of comfort that appeals to both of us. Tegan would probably use maybe the phrase love language. What makes me feel good or what makes me feel safe or what excites me is sometimes just different. We just have different words and different approaches. And we we look at the world in slightly different ways, which again, ultimately really is one of our strengths as a band, but can be one of our weaknesses as sisters and collaborators when we are, where we're the furthest away from each other in our, in our conversation or our language. And, you know, our, the one thing I will say about our therapist that we've had in recent, in this recent sort of patch of unrest, one of the things I really like about her is that she is not interested in digging down into any of these things. We will get into these sort of like verbal rabbit holes and she will just be like, okay, mm-hmm. like almost like a timer. Like, okay, that's enough. We've heard it. Sarah, Whoa. stop. Tegan, do you hear Sarah? Yes, Sarah, do you hear that Tegan hears you? Yes, now can we move on? You know, and, and you know, I find that very interesting. Are you guys always this polite is the la- like he says him with the language of your conflict, and then you mentioned a love language. You seem to know how, obviously, and you should publicly have have your issues resolved. You're not supposed to bring them out to the press. But is there is there uh, are you always our issues are not resolved? Just so you know, our <laughs> issues are not resolved. No, okay. No. But are you always polite in discussing them with each other? It's a good question. It's an interesting question, and I would say like there's more than one answer. I think that Sarah and I carry an enormous amount of shame about the the conflict that we have mm. because before we had developed all of these skill sets and this ability to process politely or to be more professional, it would just spew out everywhere. We would beat the shit oh. out of, you know, like beat the shit out of each other as teenagers, as young yeah. adults. Like we would cry, scream, come unravel. You know, we fought on stage before. No. Yeah, like thankfully, mm-hmm. very early on in our career, where no one noticed. But you know, we had. I was going to say, is there a video? <laughs> Can I see well, this on YouTube? It's fascinating. It's fascinating that you use the word video because there was one. There was a show very early on in our career. I think we were nineteen, maybe twenty years old. We we were working with this manager very briefly. I think he represented us maybe six months, and you know, Sarah and I were very much in conflict about what we wanted. Um, you know, Sarah 
potentially didn't even want to play music. She felt a bit forced into it. And anyway, professionally, professionally, professionally. Yeah. Like felt like she wasn't sure what she wanted to do. And I was very much like, let's get a record deal. And this is our career. And this is who we're going to be. And, um, we'd flown out to Toronto. We were West coast people, but we'd flown out to Toronto to play a show. And, you know, it was one of those early gigs where you're like playing to absolutely nobody. And our manager, at the time, he um, had someone come and film it because we were going to put together an electronic press kit and he needed footage of us performing. And we did not like attack each other on stage. We weren't like, it was, it was subtle in my memory of what happened, but it was very clear to those that knew us that we were having an argument on stage and we were being quite petty with one another. And a few days after the performance, our manager had us to his office and he showed us the clip of us fighting. And he Ooh. he was an older guy. Like he was like, he'd probably in his, I would assume 50s or 60s. I, I don't really recall how old he was, but he was much older than us. We were teenagers. And he showed us the clip and, and used language like you should be embarrassed of your behavior mm. and, oh. and really chided us for what we'd done. And we proceeded to fire him um, not long after. But I think that we spent a lot of our early career not knowing where and how to channel our frustration, our fear, our disconnect. You know, we've been in and out of therapy our entire adult life, working with each other as we enter different phases of our career. And I think we have become more polite and more understanding. I think also at some point it became clear, like, this is our path and this path is together and we don't want to have conflict at all times. And I think actually both of us, we actually really don't have a lot of conflict in our life other than with each other. And I think we learn, the older we get and the more developed and more intense our adult relationships grow to be, we're able to bring those things back to each other in this relationship. And so I think that's where maybe that politeness or that respect seems to come from. That being said, we we do fight and we do argue and we've we've had multiple strategies over the years for that. You know, we had a therapist who said, just ask the people around you for permission to do that. You make thousands of decisions a month. Like anyone would fight. Like that's not normal. Like the amount of Mm. together time and the amount of decisions you have to make that, that aren't just decisions to be made and then you leave them behind. They're decisions that affect our family and our livelihood and our future and our legacy and our history and our friends and family. And like, there's a lot of tension. We're not just deciding simple things. When we sign a contract, we're signing, you know, when we signed our first record deal, we were 19. We just got out of that contract. We just turned 42. Like, there, every choice we make has such an enormous deep impact on each other. And that's intense. And I just know Sarah's not going anywhere. And so I can mistreat her. I can ignore her. I can interrupt her. Like, you know that Mm. on some like level, like that's family in a weird way. You can say and do things Mm. you can't to anyone else. And I think sometimes when we're Mm. having our most conflict, it's when we feel the least taken care of by our team, by each other, by the world, whatever it is. But I trust that I can tell Sarah, anything or do anything and she'll stick it out with me. And so I I think we take a lot out on each other. So I don't, yeah, I just, I think, I think we've just learned to be as professional as possible around other people. We've learned to be united. We've learned to work out the majority of our issues privately. And then when we come to our team to lead as a united front. And I think that that helps us, but it sometimes also feels like we're not identical twins. It's like we're Siamese twins. I feel trapped and suffocated. Oh, wow. And (laughs) and I'm like, get her away from me. (laughs) I'm going to shoehorn a little bit, but I did hear you say that you're both, you're both dealing with a lot of shame. Who gave you all shame? Where did it come from? I guess it probably, you know, starts where it starts for everyone. I mean, our primary caregivers growing up, you know, my mother, my my father, my grandparents, you know, there was expectations that everybody 
uh, you know, was, was, could be high functioning and didn't need a lot. Like needs were, needs were sort of cast mm. aside, you know, like, did, are you starving? No. Did you sleep outside well, last then, night? Yeah. No, you're fine. <laughs> Walk it off. And, and that was, I think, a product of, you know, like a, coming from a lower middle class background. I mean, my grandparents' generation were, 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 you know, objectively poor, you know, they were, and then my, my mother's generation, her, her, she and her siblings, you know, they were sort of the middle class generation and they were working their way up to something in the sort of upper middle class world. And it was sort of like, yeah, there's no, there is no assent if we're, if we're too busy sitting on the sidelines crying about how hard everything is. And I think that mentality was served to us, certainly, and specifically probably from our dad and my, and my grandmother. Both, both of those people we loved desperately and profoundly, and yet there was very little room for physical comfort. There was little room for complaining or, you know, yeah, needs outside of, outside, well, wants, my dad would say. Our needs were met, but our wants mm-hmm. were not. Desire, you know, as a young child, you know, obviously is not romantic, but it is like, I want more love. I want to be touched more. I want that Nintendo game. You know, I want those shoes. I want, I want, I want, I want. And I think that those early, that early shame for me anyways, comes from the things that I wanted and from the things that I needed that I, that I learned not to ask for. And, um, and that I learned to live without and to, and, and in some ways those adaptations made me really resilient and strong and, you know, um, independent. And a lot of the things that I went without as a young person, you know, I, I learned to, to get those things myself, you know, and that's sort of like pressure point of like being young and knowing that you want something and, and being told you shouldn't really want that, or you don't really need that. And then still making, wanting it so much. Is it the same with wanting a career that is excellent? And is that the same? Is there shame with that as well? Yes, I do think that is true. It's sort of like, well, I want better reviews. I, I, I don't care about the Grammys, but like, but also why haven't we had a, why, do, why don't we have a Grammy? You know, like there's that thing of like, and then should, and then should I want those things? Like, I don't want to play arenas. Arenas are cold. That Those weren't places built for music, but like, do, did I want that at some point? And then I like adapted to tell myself a story so that I didn't have to feel bad that we never got to that level or we never became that kind of band. I mean, I'm sure all of it is tied up in that same kind of wanting, but not, but then feeling embarrassed or bad for for wanting well, those things, you know? I was gonna, I would just interrupt and say that, mm-hmm. like, I think the way I was using shame, it was about also our relationship, like Sarah and I's relationship. Yeah. And I think that adding to what Sarah's saying, like compounded with that was that all those insecurities, those fears, those wants that we weren't sure we were allowed to ask for things or the first decade of our career was really hard. We were independent. We were queer women. We were always out. We were in the indie rock world, which was predominantly cis, hetero men. We were really mm-hmm. left out. We were pushed into the margins. We weren't respected. We were signed when we were 19. So everybody thought we were just some sort of like record label monster, you know, they no one believed we actually wrote our songs. Like we had to kind of, we went through like a real gauntlet of bullshit, to be honest. And, but you know, everyone who approached us would be from friends, family, industry. They'd be like, you're living your dream. This is amazing. And I think we had a lot of shame about how hard it felt and how lonely we were and how isolated Mm. we felt. And, you know, we didn't have a lot of the tools you have now for marketing, like social media and SoundCloud. And like, you know, it took us 10 years to get a tour bus. You know, we used to take the Greyhound oh. overnight between shows, like Sarah and I, and we would one of us would stay awake to protect our shit. Like we <laughs> managed ourselves for the serious? first three years. Yeah, like it just the list goes on and on. But I think we had shame because from the outside, everyone was like, "You're living your dream and you're doing what you want. And you're doing it with your sister. She's your best friend." And like we felt all the shame because it was like, meanwhile, we're back at the Akana Lodge 
you know, as 23 year olds or 24 year olds, like screaming at each other, you know, like with bloodshot eyes, like, cause we were scared wow. and we were frustrated and we were lonely mm. and we were- And didn't know how, and again, to take it back to We didn't know how to bring sort of, it up to anybody. We didn't know how to bring it up to people and we didn't know how to ask mm. for help because we had been told as young kids, you know, and for good, and I don't want to like make my parents seem like they were monsters. They were barely 22 years mm. old when we were born. They were both figuring out who they were. And they, you know, my mom was at, at some point, our parents split up. It was like, my mom was a single parent. She was going back to college. She was working at night to pay off student loans. You know, I'm, I'm not trying to paint a picture like we were like impoverished or, or going without our basic needs being uh, met. Our therapist more. points this out right now. This is something we do. So I know, this, I know. So when know. we say that we were neglected, we then immediately need to spend 10 minutes telling you how we weren't <laughs> neglected. Go ahead, no, well, but I'm just speaking publicly and it is really yes. hard. Chad and I do this too, where we'll yeah. get real about families and then walk it back mm-hmm. because you never want something excerpted. And I read somewhere, and I think it was the book or the TV show, I can't remember. You really, all you cared about is your mom loving it. And wanting to give a fair, I, I like to think of it less like I'm walking it back and more like I'm broadening the scope of the context. Like I don't want it to <laughs> seem like my mom was like, you know, sitting on the couch smoking cigarettes and like, you know, watching TV all day. I mean, she was like, she was our hero. She was hugely inspirational and she was a force of nature and she was doing all the things at once. And, you know, parenting didn't take up as big of the pie as maybe traditionally of that era anyways. Mothers, we saw a lot of moms sitting at home, taking care of their kids, making them peanut butter sandwiches mm-hmm. at lunchtime. And my mom was like, you can make your own damn sandwich. And also you can't come here because I'm going to be at school all day and working tonight. So you're going to a day home or whatever it was. It's, it's interesting actually now being a parent myself and starting to think in the context of like, what would I do? What Like, you know, today's the first day we have childcare part-time taking care of our five-month-old. And I'm like, as I was leaving, I felt this crushing feeling of excitement to get away from him and go to work. And also like, I don't want, I'm in this possessive phase where I like don't want anyone to touch him or love him mm-hmm. except for me. And I want him only to love me. I'm only trying to color in a little bit more of the picture just because I, I'm i afraid, yeah, to not, to make it seem like my mom was just a pure um, uh, neglectful person. But I wanted to say too about shame, you know, one of the things that I've worked on so much in my 30s and early 40s is also just the shame of being queer and, you know, and not completely understanding how almost impossible it is, at least for me, to erase or remove those kind of those sort of like internalized homophobic feelings that I had that I used to think were very simple. Like, oh, I feel bad about being gay. Like just very simple. Okay, well now I feel great about being gay. So how come the feeling is still there? What is that feeling? If it's not, if I'm comfortable with being gay and I'm completely like I'm out and I've done all these things and I don't, wouldn't want it to be any other way, then why does that feeling still linger for me? And it's taken me a long time to sort of understand just how like it, it, it just is me. Like, you know, there is no getting rid of it. It's it's how I think. It's how I move. It's how I, it's how I love. It's how I reject love. It's in all of me. And so it's, I can't get rid of that feeling. I can understand the feeling and I can manage the feeling better, but I can't really get rid of it. And I think that's sort of a new revelation for me. And I think that is also tangled up in all my relationships and my music and the wor- the way that I see the world and the way that I experience the world seeing me. And, you know, and that's just, I think that's just a lifelong journey. Tegan, with with <laughs> that said, like, is the shame, because I'm not quite sure yet, and I am trying to sort of focus on if there's a quit in there somewhere, like, 
is the shame just something you have to sort of accept as an as an emotion that you're going to feel or is it something you're trying to drop off somewhere or or process so that it's over I'm glad you're asking that because I think that is where we start to get to how different Sarah and I are and why mm. there's still so much conflict between us first of all I don't feel like I don't have the same shame around queerness that Sarah mm. does I I not at all which is what makes our story so unique. It's partly why we wrote the memoir we did and why we wanted to make it into a TV show. It was very eye-opening for both of us to write the book and be like, wait, like for Sarah, she was profoundly affected by it. She was like, I don't understand how, like, you know, I have my journals from that time and I'm literally like, I kissed a girl. It was amazing. This is so incredible. And like, you know, and for Sarah, it was just like a, a really, really, really different experience. And so my shame around that is really different. My shame around our early conflict and our misery. I came to understand probably in my late 20s that I could hold both. I could say the early part of our career was absolute nightmarish, like absolutely nightmarish at times. And I could also say we are the luckiest people on the planet and that this has just been the most tremendous ride and that we experience so little trauma compared to so many other women, especially queer women that I've come up with now and understand. And and so I learned to hold both. And then at some point in my 30s, I threw the bad stuff away and and feel really differently about it. And in our most recent therapy, I think that was yet another profound sort of revelation and takeaway from our therapist was, you know, Sarah is still carrying a lot of that and that's okay. And I'm... But if she didn't carry it, would you have to have it? Like it's that sure. system again mm. yep. where for me, it's always comforting when one of my sisters is more uptight than I am. He's like, <laughs> oh, good. She's holding that football, that fucking type A, I've got to do everything right football. <laughs> sure. And I get to relax for a second. But then when she throws, she puts the football down. I'm like, oh, God, I, I got to pick it up. Is it possible that you could have that same shame or that's just not even in your realm of, it doesn't sound like it was even in, in your teenage years or your younger years. I think maybe it's both. Maybe some things that Sarah carries, she carries for us. Mm-hmm. And there are some things I just put down. And because I'm now built my own island with my own life mm-hmm. and I do, I feel distinctly unique and I am my own person. And, you know, if Sarah tomorrow was like literally done making things done with the music career, like I feel I can go on. And so I've unlocked the part of me that feels that everything that happens to me or to Sarah is in relation to the other. Like I have my own life Mm. and my own experiences. And that's freed me up to like let go of a lot of this stuff. I'd add only to that, like, I think because we're identical twins, there's a whole element there. Like we have been contrasting and comparing our whole lives Mm. and everyone from the outside has been doing that as well. And that at some point we had to understand that we are distinct and individual people but that there is a part of our life, our existence, a big part right now, the work part, that we will always be seen as a unit. We'll always be the girls, the twins, Tegan and Sarah, the band, them. Like that's just kind of how people see Mm -hmm. us. And our most recent experience in therapy was really eye-opening in that sense because we went in saying, we need to be individuals. And what we, three months, and the therapist was like, yes, you must. And then three months in, she was like, actually, I want to retract that and go back to the beginning and say, no, when it comes to your work and your career, you guys aren't going to be seen as individuals and you have to get over that. You have to lead together. You have to be united. And so I think in that sense, Julie, yes, I think some of the things Sarah holds onto and carries, she does for both of us. And I think, you know, there are things that I, there are responsibilities and there are roles I play within this partnership 
that I that Sarah doesn't have to worry about. You know, I tend to be much more extroverted and outgoing. And there, there are just things that I carry in our relationship that I think that make room for Sarah to be more her. And I, I think that's how we're we're balancing that. But there are some things I've just let go of. They, there are. I and I about. don't want to put it on you. It sounds like a lot has been put on you. I just want to say briefly, I have twin sons. They are not identical. Are you sure you're identical? <laughs> You've done DNA? We haven't done the DNA. And honestly, we just sold a book about being twins. And that's one of the things we're going to do is be tested because we were told there is a possibility. These days, it's more likely yeah. you'll find out and it's conclusive. But my mother swears that we are, but it's something that we definitely want to go get tested. So my sons are not identical and they don't look alike and no one mistakes them for one another. But I notice one is incredibly extroverted. One is very quiet. And I'm constantly trying to be the right parent to both of them and understanding that there are things that that one's extroversion provides for the other and and vice versa. And so this is it's very personal to me and I might be putting that on you unfairly. My nephews are twins and they're really little. They're one and a half and they look so different already and their personalities are very different. And I see people already doing a con like a confirmation bias thing with them where they mm -hmm. start treating them the way that they have shaped their identities in their heads. And it's becoming mm -hmm. like, I'm seeing mm -hmm. it turn into this divergent paths thing happening with them that I actually feel kind of uncomfortable with because we don't know who they are yet. They're they're one and a half. I read where the two of you sort of, you guys started forming identities to like separate who you were from each other. Does that, Sarah, does that sound right? Can you explain to me when that happened and like why that happened? I think it happens all the time, probably from a very young age. Like my mom talks about us going through phases of being closer and then sort of almost rejecting each other at certain ages mm -hmm. or certain periods of our lives, especially when there was things that we felt were scarce. Early life is harder because I'm, I, I do rely on the memories of people around us and I don't really have strong memories. So adolescence is just an, it's just an easy place to, to really do it in a, in a more, um, uh, like a, a truthful, honest way. But when it became clear that I was queer and that I liked girls, that was a very difficult time in my life. But I think it was, you know, it was complicated. It was partly because I was like, oh God, I like girls. Holy shit, what does this mean? But also mm. I wanted the girls' attention myself. You know, for the first time, I didn't mm. want it to be around. I didn't, I wanted to have girls be around me alone because I didn't mm. want the girls to like Tegan. I wanted them to like me. And I don't even mean romantically. It was just one of the first things that I remember thinking, like, I want this for myself. I want this attention for myself. And, you know, twins is, it's complicated. It's like a hard thing to get into, especially identical twins, because we are so profoundly different, but we look so similar. It is such a uniquely uh, distorting thing that happens. Like from the time you're little, you are constantly told and con it is constantly reinforced that you are the same. And then mm. the things that are mm. different about you, it's so exaggerated. So it's like this cartoonish mirror that you're like, you look into and everybody else sees you through. And I don't think that it is a small thing to be on this planet for 42 years and not have people know who you are or which one you are and constantly tell you that. It is very destabilizing. Mm -hmm. And maybe for yeah. me, potentially more than Tegan, I still find it so bizarre. I mean, I've sp literally spent 42 years being like, no, it's totally fine that you don't know who I am. 
It's not fine. It's very <laughs> no, weird. No, it's not. It's really weird. I mean, if I, if you constantly showed up places and it was like, which one's Chad? Which one's Julie? Wait, <laughs> I won't remember. <laughs> you know, that right. happens be like, to right. us. Just but you would be <laughs> yeah, like, it does. You would be like, oh my god! Like, but for forty-two fucking years, people no, say that to insane. you, and you're that like, this would, yeah. is insane. This it's is an insane thing. It is a house yeah. of mirrors because I feel as different as you two are from right. Tegan. And so right. it's it's this thing where you are constantly sort of downplaying how disorienting it is to have mm. people not see you and mm. have people right. or, and, or only see something very specific about you. And so I think they're, you know, twins, it's very well documented. Twins have very different responses to this and I'm actually married to a twin and um oh my and an identical talk, twin not an identical twin okay. but Whoa. but even but even for her you know to grow up as a twin and yeah. you're developmentally going through this gauntlet together and you're hitting these milestones at different times so for example mm-hmm. you know I think when we think of fraternal twins or especially if we think of like yeah. opposite sex twins so you know mm-hmm. my my wife has a brother you know she's like it was so hard she hit puberty in such a different way. She was like a cheerleader and tall and had a billion friends. And, you know, Jeff was a slow, he just was a slower burn, you know, in high school. And it was like, they're hitting these sort of like age milestones together. And it's like, she's lining up on one, one graph and he's kind of lining up on the other socially, you know, physically, whatever it is. And I think that that's really challenging and it's really unique compared to kids even who are like even really close in age. So I think for me and Tegan… Oh my God, my research, like because we're writing this book about being twins, you know, there was a whole era where, you know, twins that were put up for adoption would be separated. And people… This sounds absolutely monstrous to the outsiders. But for a moment in time, psychologists really believe that this would actually benefit, especially kids who'd been given away, that by by sending just one child to this new home, right. they would get all the time and attention they need. Whereas if they'd gone with this other person, like that their the resources are divided, their time is divided, the attention is divided. And so for like a moment, and people were less likely to adopt twins. And so they really had this whole theory. I mean, it's totally fucked up, but in a way, it it resonated with me when I was reading it because, you know, as you said, Julie, you're spending so much time thinking how to be a good parent to both twins. How to because- be a parent to both of them. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. And it's I think really fucking hard. Yeah. And you're because they're the same Julie, age. From what I can see. And and do you guys have other <laughs> siblings? No. No, we have the two of you. We yeah, I, mean, I feel now, like I can tell that it, I actually I, wanted to I, say I, your transition <laughs> just now from Sarah speaking to Tegan speaking was like pretty phenomenal. You were <laughs> you were very much in the middle of a sentence and and then Tegan and we're really I mean we're Julie and I are Julie has to sort of coach me to interrupt her because it's not really in my nature. And it's really hard to interrupt somebody in a way that doesn't feel like a car accident. But you you all just did it. And I think that there's a there's a rhythm and there's a surrender that happens when you I know I but trust me, I could turn it into a car accident. And sometimes yes. sometimes Man. we do. Sometimes we do because it's like a no, 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 I'm not done. No, I'm not finished. No, yeah. I don't want it. And then sometimes it's like, you know what? Okay, this well, so maybe that's body language. So maybe that's body language. Like maybe I it's think, like watching someone and like waiting. Like maybe that's part of it. Is, is like it's not just about interrupting someone. It's like reading someone. You know the point where someone's like getting to like they're about to tell the whole point of their story. Like you can't mm-hmm. cut them off during that. But there's so many things that are happening. It's not just the words coming out of their mouth. Their body is changing. They're moving Absolutely. this way. Their eyes are raising. They're excited. They're about mm-hmm. to deliver. And if you interrupt in the middle of that, 
they're going to want to murder you. And I think it's probably just, like Sarah's <laughs> you right. Just, you just did it again very well. But that's, <laughs> I mean, that's complicated. I still really look up to Julie. You know what I mean? Like I still. That's because I'm old. It's No, all it's I'm not because you're old. Don't make it cute. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, fucking old. It's for a lot of different reasons. I still, I still really admire Julie. I still, like I just met her last year. But Sarah, even when you just said the word surrender, it like does something physical to me. The idea of surrender, you know, it's like very, it's a very powerful thing. And it's also a very scary thing to like surrender to somebody else's brain in their mouth as they take over the sentence and go like drive the train and you don't know where it's going. To take a slight left turn, because I do want to refocus on another quit that I'm hearing from you all and that I've read about you is you've shifted your team around a bit. Like you start, you had this 50 something manager when you're teenagers, you fired his ass. Like you moved on to the next. I don't know how many people. They did it late. They said they just got, I just, that's new information. You, you signed it in 19. You said we just got out of that contract. No, different ones. Did the, I misunderstand the, the that? The first guy they fired after six months, oh, they right. said. That first guy was a douchebag. Sorry. What Tegan was referencing was actually a record contract that sort oh. of has carried over and we've re-upped for almost our entire career until very recently, which we severed. So what made you yeah. stop? I mean, without going too boringly into the pandemic, I think it honestly, it just like everything stopped. We had time to evaluate. We were in a, you know, a natural end point, I think with a lot of things in our lives. And it felt like once we started breaking up with people, it was like, we just broke up with everybody. We were like, (laughs) now you're broken up with. Now we don't want to be in your record label. No, we don't want to work with your services anymore. And we just kind of started over. Are you good at breakups? What's your tone? You, both of you are so chiseled in in your demeanor. (laughs) We're very media trained. And I don't mean that in like a fake way. I just mean like we've been literally publicly talking about ourselves for 25 years. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, and I think that we understand how we're viewed and and how we, and we also have a strategy of how to be viewed in, in the way that we want to be. But I also think that, you know, one of the things that really draws people to us is our transparency, especially when it comes to all things that inter- intersect with our, with our career and our sisterly relationship. And it's a bit of a magician's game where we can, you know, we take, we, we show you a lot over here, which allows mm-hmm. a big chunk of our life to remain quite private and, you know, and and our own. Are we good at breakups? Am I good at breakups? I'll tell you what. I don't think I'm that. I don't think I am good at breaking up. And I definitely am not good. I'm not good at being broken up with. But I will say that throughout my life, the vast majority of romantic, professional, and pers- personal relationships that have would be, you know, categorized as breakups, I am still significantly close with almost all of those people. There are very few relationships in my life where I truly, truly am intimate with somebody, emotionally, physically, whatever, where I feel prepared to sever that relationship indefinitely and not talk to that person again. And so if that's a business relationship or that's a personal or romantic relationship, I work very hard at trying to preserve whatever is available on the other side. And that's just, that's always been something that's mattered to me. It's probably something that was ingrained in me very early on because of the way that our parents separated and they and their overall ability to leave whatever was going, whatever was adult and not for us to experience or see. We didn't have to live through their divorce. We didn't have to live through their bullshit. We just saw our parents respecting one another. And, you know, we've accumulated more step-parents and exes. And I have like my three best friends in the world are my ex-girlfriends. I mean, it's just, I sort of learned like, if I get really close to you and we're going to break up, like I'm going to work really hard to figure out how we can still be in touch. And it's, and the same really Mm -hmm. goes for, for our team, you know, our managers who we had for the last 18 years. I love those men, you know, I love them. And they were with us through 18 years. I want to be friends and I want to remain 
in their lives. And so, you know, I think we worked really hard. We did not have a contract with them and we negotiated our, our, our exit deal with each other in one day. And we did it over Zoom and it was, you know, it, it took like deep 30 res- minutes. It wasn't deep, even a day. Like, yeah. Like one day, like one call, like one hour, whenever 45 minutes, we went back and forth a little bit with the contract with our lawyers and then it was done. And how many years were you together? 18 years. 18. So what's the moment before for the two of you? What's the moment <laughs> before that quit, essentially? What's the moment before when you go, there's talk and there's talk and there's talk. Yes, it's happening. What was that moment? I mean, look, you know, this is where Sarah and I, once again, we differ. You know, I tend to get over things a little quicker than Sarah. I always say I do my leaving in the relationship. So by the time I'm out, <laughs> I've sort of like processed it and felt Amen. it. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whereas Sarah's like going to spend a year to quote her, drinking scotch and eating goldfish crackers and feeling upset alone. I'm just a little different. And, you know, like Sarah said, we had this amazing team for 18 years and we love them and they're our friends and we still talk to them all the time. You know, we just, we had time to think. Like Sarah said, we came off the road. We've sort of been, we've been, we'd made nine albums. We made a book. We, we'd done all these things. And then the pandemic hit and we were off the treadmill for a minute. We were able to stay home and think about what we wanted. And we started to have these really amazing monthly summits with our management team about what we wanted to do next. When the pandemic hit, we were in the middle of developing our memoir to, for TV. And we started, you know, going out and pitching it. You know, we were also writing two graphic novels for for eight to 15 year olds. We were building out podcast ideas. We re-recorded one of our early albums, Acoustic. Like we're extremely ambitious and we never stop moving and we're kind of compulsively creative. And And our managers are really amazing. In these like monthly summits, they admitted that some of this other work they weren't necessarily as invested in. They're not as, they didn't care as much about the TV, film, book side of our business. And um, and ultimately over, you know, the course of many months, we just decided that we wanted a team that was officially sort of overseeing all of it. It's really hard to, to disconnect what we do from who we are. And so at this time in our career to say that Tegan and Sarah, the band and the touring operation is one part of our business and the rest of it is another part was kind of impossible for us. We felt it all had to be under one umbrella. So I feel like Honestly, they I really understood, and that's why it wasn't so hard. They were very sad to lose us as their like touring and recording artist, but I think as people, they understood that we were starting to build out the Tegan and Sarah universe, and and we needed proper representation for that. And I think also for Sarah and I, we, you know, like we are getting to the age, like obviously Sarah and her partner just had a child, but we're also just at the age where we don't want to spend two and a half years touring three hundred days a year. We want some normalcy. We want to build out our families. We want to have comfort. I don't want to live on a tour bus. I, Our parents are getting older. Our friends are getting older. I don't want to miss out on absolutely everything. Like 286 mm. days a year to be on tour is absolutely not something Sarah and I wanted to do anymore. And that meant shifting our business and looking at other interests. And so, yeah, I think the breakup was easier for us because we were able to articulate all the things we were feeling. We spent months talking about it prior to actually saying, hey, this is what we're doing. And and I'd like to think that that's been the way we've been in a lot of our relationships, both romantic yeah. and personal and also business relationships is we're very pragmatic and we're very thorough in we our are prag- investigating We are pragmatic, things. but we're also, I think one of our strengths, and I think you, this is required when, when you're an artist, is you're world building, your dreamers, I don't know, whatever euphemism you want to use about what it is to be creative and to sort of see into the future of what you want to make or what you want to be. I started to feel like the people around us, the team around us, however proud, however loyal they were, I feel like they had stopped seeing the dream Mm. with us. Why? I feel like 
I think, I mean, I think that's probably that's their personal journey, you know? Like they, yeah. maybe they started seeing something different for themselves. Maybe the job, I mean, I know for a fact, like for example, we have a creative director who we've worked with for over, well, now for like um, 20 years. And, you know, she still does work for us, but it was in a more formal position for many, many years. And during the pandemic, she also in some ways broke, we, well, she kind of broke up with us, I guess. And then we sort of broke up with each other. I think at some point we are a planet. We, we take up so much time and space and energy in people's lives. Mm. And it doesn't have to be a bad thing, but I can start to see how that gravitational pull towards what we want, what we need, what we're looking at, where we want to go, I can see how it can, it can sort of take away from whatever, whatever you're trying to build on your end of things. And, you know, and I think, again, to go back to like whether I'm a good person to break up with or, or, or if, I'm, if I'm good at it or bad at it, I want to change my answer. I think I am good at it because <laughs> I do I do feel once I get over the initial breakup, I have a lot of empathy and compassion. This is I believe this is one life, you know? Like I don't I don't I don't know what happens before or after or I don't know any of that stuff. All I know is right now and I always try to think to myself like this I'm just doing me out here and if mm-hmm. it's and and I don't want to hurt anybody. I'm not I don't think of it as selfish or selfless or anything like that, but like I don't know, YOLO. Like if people, like <laughs> I want to- I mean, you're both so potent. I like, <laughs> I don't ask this facetiously, but like what planet are you? We're Saturn. You know, we're two rings ah. around the same planet. Thank you. That's an excellent answer. Do you feel like there is a sharpened quit that we were able to find here? I think there were a couple, but I'm not sure which one is I think the that one. They, they, these women are um, incredibly talented. By the way, I, I'm a massive fangirl and have been like most of the people in the world ever since Grey's Anatomy, which was probably a big life-changing <laughs> moment for a career-changing moment, Huge. I should say, for the both yeah, of And so that makes me a very basic Johnny-come-lately, but so what? <laughs> that was that was a huge moment hearing you for the first time going, I am immediately downloading that music stat. <laughs> and maybe maybe only Sarah was tormented over it and not Tegan. But it's a big thing to shift a team. I've I've been with the same managers since I was twenty one. Wow. Twenty two. Wow. That's so cool. And we're talking thirty years. They took me on when I was like literally just out of college. And there's a safety and a comfort there. I would need another version of myself to talk to about that. You know what I was going to say, too, is that Tegan said the thing about how she quits. Like, she does the leaving in the relationship. And and I want to say one thing observationally about, you know, I mean, that 30 years is a long time. 18 years, mm-hmm. that felt like that was our whole life, you know, to me. Like, our mm-hmm. whole musical life. I think the function and sort of one of my strengths in our partnership is that I am somebody who sits back and and observes and processes a lot. And I feel like I saw Tegan doing the leaving in our mm. in our relationship oh, with our managers. while it was happening. And I feel like I saw it because I, I saw her unhappiness. I saw her trying to create new pathways. I saw her trying to fix the problem. She mentioned these management summits. A lot of these ideas were Tegan's. Okay, we're going to fix it. We're going to get this. Okay, we're going to problem solve. We're going to do that. We're going to do an audit of this system and we're going to figure this thing out. But what I saw was, okay, Tegan is Tegan is trying to figure out if there is a if there's a path forward with these gentlemen. And at some point I was like, there is not. And so I come in because and I she say she had already started the leaving. She'd already started the leaving. And so I was like, and now I think it is time to leave. And initially Tegan was like, no, 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 no. I don't have time for that right now. We need to have these guys in place. And I was like, it's done. It's a done deal. And, you know, and then I think what happens for me is that I am able to help sever the relationship. And Tegan is like, great. 
cauterize the wound. We're good. We're moving on. And I'm like, no, now I need to spend some time doing some leaving. I need to have that time to kind of figure things out. And so I think like in that moment, Tegan sees me as like delaying, you know, the breakup or, or she's kind of like, oh my God, get over it. You know, whereas I'm like, yeah, but you already, I made space for you to have your, you know, your time with, with quitting this relationship. And I Uh now need some time to figure out what comes next and to, you know, to help us as a team evaluate like what comes next for us and who comes next for us. Whereas I think Tegan was like, once we were done with manager, with our managers, she was like, like the next day, she was like, so should we start taking meetings? And I was like, oh my God, (laughs) let's have like, Let's at least sit Shiva for like a week or something. My God, like, you know, we were with them for 18 years. Are like, you guys Jewish too? I'm married, I'm married to a Jewish woman. It's like, let's just sit here and like, you know, grieve the relationship, think about it, eat some food, and then like, let's reevaluate, you know? Goldfish and, and scotch. Or, Goldfish or, or, and I think scotch. Or your foods of choice. We only have a few minutes left and I really wanted to ask about your TV show because that is a huge leap from... Mm. Music. I don't know anything about music, but in in my fantasy world, and I'll tell you in thirty seconds or less, it's the two of you sitting in a room going, you know, like like the Beatles documentary. No, like, is it this? No, is it this? Is it this? No. And then suddenly you're doing, you're playing like Here Comes the Sun or something. And I know a lot about TV and film, and that is an endlessly like back and forth with the studio and notes and this and that. Uh, it's very different. How was that for you guys creatively? Yeah, uh, look, I mean, it was a. I, this was our first experience, and I think we, similar to our music career, some, somewhere inside one of us, clearly, that someone lodged a, a horseshoe because we had what has been described as is not a typical experience. You know, we went out mm. and took five meetings and sold the show, and and less than a year later it was made. And the woman who uh, developed the show with us is Cleo Duvall, who's obviously been in the industry for a very long oh, time. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, she's amazing. Yeah, incredible actor, writer, and now director and show creator with us and has been a friend of ours for 15 years. And, you know, when she read an early draft of the book, came to us and said, like, don't just sell your story and don't just hand this off to somebody. Like, be involved, you know, develop it with me. You know, be executive producers, be involved in telling the story. Like, it's your story. You only get to tell it once. And and so I think, you know, the three of us worked really well together. And then we brought on Laura Cottrell, who had come to us from, uh, she did all five seasons of Insecure. So she's another amazing co-showrunner, writer, and um, also queer. And, you know, both Clea and Laura just had such an innate sense of the time, our relationships, the 90s, queerness, you know, friendship. Um, and love music. And so I just feel like their ideas were so strong. The outlines just were incredible and the, the, the scripts were as well. And we didn't have a lot of notes and the studio was actually, I mean, you know, Amazon was kind of amazing. They were highly involved, but mostly just, we kind of got just green light after green light after green light. And, and, um, I am so happy and impressed with how the show turned out and our experience was really positive. And so we like immediately have started to develop other stuff and that feels really exciting, Mm. but we've been warned that our experience is not Uh, normal. I'm so happy for you as a fan and as somebody who's really excited to see this show. And you got to develop (laughs) with Clea Duvall, who is like a hero of mine. I just think she's incredible. Did she do a lot of the directing as well? Yeah. She did it. Yeah. She did six, six of eight episodes. She did six Um, of eight. Yeah. Did you use one actor or two? Two. The, they're actually a set of twins that we discovered on TikTok. We hadn't started casting the show yet, but we were talking about twins all the time. Tegan and I had sold another project about twins. And we were talking a lot about, oh God, the hardest part of doing our show is going to be finding the right set of twins or the right person to play a set of twins. And then like, I'm not making this up. 
that just, Tegan just one day te- like sent me a TikTok link and goes, oh my God, these girls are so funny. They could, they're totally us in high school. And it was a set of twins who live in Fresno, California, never acted, never played music. They worked at like two different pizza restaurants and they were just like 20 years old hanging out in Fresno, making funny TikToks with each other. Like sometimes they would do like the dancing thing, but sometimes like, especially Rayleigh who plays Tegan on the show, she would do this thing that I absolutely think of as a Tegan thing. She just would give uh, tours of things and like, hey guys, this is my car. This is this is the stuff my I have car. on the seats. Here's my lunch. You <laughs> but know, it was here's... mesmerizing. I would just it was, am- it. No, it was amazing. Like, be, it was amazing. Like, hey guys, so I'm on my lunch break and I got sushi. So okay, so I'm gonna show you my sushi now. So this is my sushi and like, so I got the California roll. If you hadn't had California, and they I were would be ador- like, why they were like, watching this. They were so adorable and their dynamic as 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 sisters and as twins had a really specific feeling. I wouldn't necessarily even say it was. I mean, we can like stretch it and say, oh yeah, they remind us of us. But I think what they just were was really compelling and fascinating twin sisters. They also seemed really queer to us. So we had this moment of like, damn, like, did we just like accidentally find the stars of our show? We did. That was exactly what happened because we went through the casting process. We saw dozens of twins. We saw wonderful musical twins, twins who had acted, twins who could do it all. And we, Tegan and I just were, well, specifically me, I was like relentless about it. I just, every time we would see more, we would see these casting calls and I would say like, yeah, I can imagine the Irish ones. Okay. I mean, those girls from Vancouver are cool, but I would just be like, it's season in Rayleigh, man. Those are the kids. That's who it has to be. So we did a call out on TikTok because they didn't follow us. So I couldn't DM them. And I was like, can somebody please tell Rayleigh to like follow us so I can talk to her. And within the hour I was texting with her and I was like, you and your sister got to you have to email this email address. You need to audition for our show. And they did. And we put them into acting classes and music classes. And they came up to Canada like less than a year later and were like literally shooting a TV show and they were the stars of the show. And they are phenomenal. They are stars. They are absolute stars. <laughs> May I ask, are they queer? They are gay. Yeah. Yeah. Do they share yeah. that? Yeah. They are. That is- Julie, this was and- in the dossier. Uh-oh. <laughs> you know out. what? It would have made so much better. Your reaction is so organic. <laughs> I want to ask one last TV film question because I know we have to jump soon. Uh, this is a question for Tegan. Tegan, blue is the warmest color. Have you seen it? Yeah, I actually did see it. I saw it in the theater and loved it. I, I, I'm actually, I go and see every queer film and TV show I possibly can, even the bad ones, because I just really believe we have to support to get more made. That one I think is good. I thought I would it was not say very it was good. Great. And yeah, I good. believe that from the first second I saw you on this screen that I now am convinced that, is her name Leia Seydoux? Is that how you pronounce it? Okay, I don't know how you pronounce that it That she is doing an impression of you in that movie. That's what, that's how I feel. <laughs> I'll have to rewatch it. Go look you at some the, images. The critique, the critique at the time was that it was very much a straight lens because the it's a male director, straight mm. male director, yeah. and that there are there are elements to it that feel very much like what people perceive queer culture to be like or lesbian relationships to be like. But I'm gonna rewatch it because I do feel like. Again, like I, I, I don't know, storytelling is storytelling, and I don't well, think that I'm you can only tell a good story as a queer person. When I saw it in and on you West liked it. Street, so don't trust my. Taste or point of view. It was. You like, know what, Chad? I'm going to get back to it. It was raunchy. It all right. Well, it is raunchy. It is raunchy. Yeah. It is raunchy. Yeah. Well, we um, really appreciate you. the two of you taking so much time. And um, I, I have one last question that I, I'm just interested because I'm convinced you're not identical twins, by the way. I'd like to, I'd like to put $5 on the fact that you're not and that it, it's going to be awesome because you're going to be like, genetically, we're not even that close. 
Are you mirror twins? In my research for this book that we're writing, my my leaning is that I think we might be mirror twins. But it, is one of you right hand and one of you left handed? No, but everything else, like the way, uh. like our faces, like we, like just it gets it. When and when I was reading about it, I was like, shit, we might be this. But I, I here's the thing about the DNA. I just eight years ago or something, I was out for dinner. I was dating this woman, and she introduced me to friends of hers, and one of them was the DNA expert for the LA County Sheriff's Office. And so like oh, when there was a shit. murder or a, a heinous crime in right. like L- LA County, she gets the call and she goes out. And so, you know, I was peppering with questions over this dinner. I found her and her partner really interesting. And they were the ones who were like, you know, because I, of course, asked the very obvious question, like, what if I murdered someone, my DNA with right, Sarah, like, right. you know, like that whole thing. Hmm. And they were like, had lots of really interesting answers about it, but they were like, you know, a lot of twins, especially from your era, because we were born in 1980, they were like, you know, there's a chance that that you aren't actually identical twins. And like, you should come, they offered, like one of them offered was like, come down to the, you know, to the office and we'll test you and find out if you really are. And I was so excited, probably two cocktails in. I was like, yeah, I'm going to get Sarah. <laughs> we're going to do this. And then they were like, you know, we have to caution you though, because, you know, a lot of your identity is actually probably rooted in the idea that you're an identical twin. And imagine you need mm. to like work, work through like <laughs> right. what it would be like to find out. So when we, Sarah and I during the pandemic wrote this pitch about um, identical or about twins. And one of the big things on it was that we will start the story by telling that story and then going and getting tested. And then at the end of the project, you find out if we're actually identical twins or not. And because there are things that, that are distinctly different, like Sarah, when we were kid, like her, her face is narrower and like she needed like a retainer, like, mm-hmm. you know, she has asthma. Like there's all these things. Like, what I actually needed was braces and what I got she, was I didn't want to say it though. What I you got was a retainer. Say no, that. no, no, no. What you wanted was braces. No, I'm just <laughs> yeah, what I wanted you needed. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I didn't want to say that. But like, you know, like there were like actual physical differences very early on as we've grown up. Like I'm taller. Like, you know, it's just like, it's interesting. So, but you know, We'll find out. I do think you're very different and um and a, and a joy and I and I just want to say I've I have uh, twin godsons who my my best friend who gave birth them said well they're not they're not identical and they're not identical and they're not identical and around age four or five I was like I uh, they uh, they are and she had them tested and they were identical so they started <gasps> not identical and then became identical in their identity. Wow. But it was very early on, so they didn't have to struggle with that one. But I think it'll be very interesting, and I will be paying close attention. We'll let you know. No, thank you all um, so much. Congratulations you. on your show. Thanks, you guys. <laughs> really appreciate it. Thank Lovely you. to see you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. 